Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Tinker Talks. This is the audio format podcast, and actually today, possibly video format podcast, that discusses events behind the fence line of Tinker Air Force Base. Today, we actually have a, a rather large group of our senior leaders to sit down and discuss with us uh, processes, thoughts, and uh, some leadership on navigating through the start of the COVID-19 pandemic and uh, kind of currently where we, we sit. So uh, we do have us with us Air Force Sustainment Center Commander Lieutenant General Gene Kirkland, Oklahoma City Air Logistics Complex Commander Brigadier General Chris Hill, 448 Supply Chain Management Wing Director Mr. Dennis D'Angelo, and my direct boss, 72nd Air Base Wing and Installation Commander Colonel Paul Filchek. So good morning, gentlemen. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you very much for taking time out of your busy schedules to join us this morning. So jumping right in, um, General Kirkland, so a lot of people may not actually know what Air Force Sustainment Center is um, or how that works. So would you be able to just quickly kind of walk us through what what the Air Force Sustainment is as far as uh, who reports to who and where these bases are and how that how that chain works? I'd be happy to. So as one of the six centers within Air Force Materiel Command, Sustainment Center is organized across uh, five wings and three air logistics complexes or depots. And so at Hill Air Force Base in Utah, here at Tinker in Oklahoma, and Robbins Air Force Base in Georgia, we have uh, a, a pair of air base wings that run the installation and, and manage all the installation support and the air logistics complex. In addition, we have two supply chain wings, the supply chain management wing here uh, at Tinker Air Force Base, led by Mr. Denny D'Angelo, who is an SES or general officer equivalent. And up in Illinois at Scott Air Force Base, we have the supply chain operations wing, mm -hmm. led by Colonel Rob Henderson. So let's focus here at Tinker. So uh, Colonel Paul Filchek, who's part of this this, this morning, is uh, is our mayor. He he. Uh, we look to him to uh, to support not only the AFMC organizations on base, but all the mission tenants here: the 507th Navy Stratcom Wing One, the 552, and all the cats and dogs to make up Team Tinker. Oh. His biggest customer, probably, is is General Chris Hill at the uh, Oklahoma City Air Logistics Complex. And so the two of them uh, are the major AFMC units here supporting AFSC. But I've got, uh, I get to work with also their, their counterparts at Hill, at Hill Air Force Base and also at Robbins. Right, awesome. So big job, uh, lots to think about, lots to do, lots to coordinate. Well, almost 40,000 uh, airmen, both civilian and military, and I'm just uh, exceptionally proud to be their commander and teammate. Awesome, thank you, sir. So. Going back to the, the early part of, of the COVID-19, at what point did the discussions begin between you and your leadership teams across the organization here? And, and kind of what, what were those initial conversations? What did they sound like? At the beginning coronavirus, uh, there was much we didn't know. And so we looked uh, both upward and inward at our organizations first as to uh, what does the makeup of our team look like? And we relied heavily on the Department of Defense and Headquarters Air Force to help us uh, translate the, the Centers for Disease Control criteria for, uh, for our workforce into operational effects. Um, you'll hear throughout this, I believe, that we've, we've been trying to balance uh, protecting the workforce with, with a, uh, a requirement to keep the mission going. Mm -hmm. And uh, that has uh, evolved as we've learned more information. Uh, both external and internal. Um, and I would turn it to these other gentlemen as to what we looked at at the, both the wing and the complex uh, in the early days. Right. Colonel, Colonel Filchek, maybe you could 
your job is i mean you kind of spearhead how the installation is going to stay open and operate which obviously has a great impact so what were those early conversations like yeah so at, at the risk of maybe pre-answering one of your your future <laughs> questions uh, come on, the, you really do pay attention right off the bat to health of force and and a risk to force and risk to mission right so we wanted to maintain uh the complete healthy status of our our airmen and our sailors i mean for me it was across all of our our mission partners so you had airmen sailors um defense agencies and the alc five wings in total uh, you want to keep them safe but you cannot guarantee their safety there's no that way that given the unknowns of covid 19 and and really our lack of data at that point as to how, how bad it might get you knew that you had to balance the health of that force with the mission and with that, you had to take a twofold approach to it. You had to go after prevention and reach where you can with prevention and then also simultaneously build a response mechanism. Yeah. So we had that twofold approach that we were talking about in February, uh, or very early February, deep into March as this kicked off locally. But uh, it wasn't done in a vacuum. And, and I'll talk a little bit more from the installation perspective and some follow-on questions. But we, as General Kirkland said, we had help from above. Uh, the Department of Defense uh, um, and uh, the Department of the Air Force and our major command, AFMC, were all engaged from the very beginning. And there was a lot of crosstalk leading up to it. So, sir, who, who begins that conversation? Does that, does that start with General Kirkland or does that start at, at your, your level? Well, the, the conversation, uh, there, there's many pieces to the conversation, right? So you have an enterprise-level conversation that's taking place uh, right when this hits Wuhan, you know, in, in December and January. The enterprise is looking at it immediately. And, and as you see something like this coming, General, General Hill is talking to his team the entire time. This isn't taking anybody by surprise. It's just how do we address all of the unknowns with this and how do we be, become pre-armed uh, to address it? General Kirkland from the AFSC perspective was already drawing his his uh, um, ALC commanders, his Air Logistics Complex commanders and his Air Base Wing commanders and his Supply Chain Wing commanders in conversations very early on this. So, so and, and then we're all going down into our teams and, and pressing forward with our plan. So I'll get into it right now and then we can let it go where it will. You, every installation, every single installation has a disease containment plan mm -hmm. and every installation updates that plan every single year. And so you take that, that disease containment plan and you have these overarching health uh, protection condition uh, guidances that come down and then your disease containment plan is right in line with those different uh, echelons that you can take in response to COVID-19 or any other pandemic or epidemic. And you take those and you translate them into workable checklists so that you can just create your strategy for prevention and for response and escalate as, as the unknowns become more known. So, sir, would, would you say that that discussion happened for you as well pretty early on in this stage of um, I guess looking at it, like General Kirkland said, nobody really knew in the beginning. But what, what was that conversation like with with the bosses um, very early? So, so our discussion really sort of relays around an anecdote um, that started on or about the 20th of March um, here locally. And on the 20th of March, um, uh, well, the weather and safety leave had been approved uh, mm -hmm. for all high risk uh, employees who had one of six um, comorbidity factors 
and enabled um, folks to uh, go home and uh, take leave uh, for their own protection. Um, that was on a Friday. Uh, by Tuesday, uh, we'd had uh, 3,500 of our direct labor employees, uh, 3,500 of 8,400 uh, direct labor employees on weather and safety leave. And by Friday of that week, um, that number was up to 4,800 employees on weather and safety leave. Uh, so then we knew um, that uh, we had an immediate challenge to balance our responsibility to do the mission and recognizing that our mission is assigned here as core workload, meaning that um, it was so important to the nation uh, that it had to be assigned to an organic Air Force depot in order for us to get that work done. Mm -hmm. And uh, we looked at that mission requirement and that particular workload knew exactly what units had to be um, recalled and, um, and get back to work. Um, those units then defined the skills that were required um, to get our mission essential workload out. Um, and then uh, with close collaboration with our bargaining unit, uh, we were able to determine who we were actually going to call back to work when and at what thresholds and echelons uh, we'd be able to do that. Um, before we called back any people, right. uh, we had to um, plan and provision um, cleaning as well as, and the boss likes to call it conspicuous cleaning, mm -hmm. um, we had to plan for and resource uh, conspicuous cleaning and the personal protective equipment that we knew we were going to need for our employees. And it's an interesting story because about that same time, um, masks were hard to find. Yeah. Uh, and we had an employee uh, actually put two and two together and said, you know, during this crisis, um, there were a lot of businesses that were closed downtown. And one of those businesses were um, the, the nail salons, for example. Uh, and so this individual had the idea that let's call uh, suppliers to those nail, those nail salon places mm -hmm. and see if we might be able to get face masks that were used by nail technicians in salons. And so that's uh, exactly what we did over a weekend. And um, by... Uh, Tuesday of the following week, uh, we had uh, about 11,000 masks uh, wow. here ready uh, for our employees, and that's what allowed us to sort of preload their return. Uh, so I would say it's a combination of, um, you know, balancing, the, uh, as Colonel Filchek said, the, the risk to our mission and, uh, and the risk to the workforce. And also, uh, it was very important for us uh, to highlight to the employees how important our work was okay. and to say thank you uh, to those employees uh, when they came back. So over a period of weeks, um, we've got back up on step and proud to say we're at 100%. And um, we think uh, we've got a good system in place. Um, we also know that um, we've got to be agile. Um, we can't take our eye off the ball. Mm. Um, this environment is going to change and we need to be ready in advance of that change. Incredible. And some great ideas pop out yeah, of this. Can, from, can I add real quick sure. uh, what General Hill didn't mention was uh, uh, him and his team, they, they were thinking ahead on this and, and came to our medical group uh, for a public health official as a direct liaison to the ALC. So none of this was done in a vacuum in terms of every step along the way they had public health guidance and recommendations uh, and, and didn't take that onus on themselves and that being in line with the Centers for Disease Control, exactly what, what they would recommend and lay out, what the public health experts would lay out, and then General, General Hill and his team then 
then translated that into meaningful action on the yeah, floor. Paul, let me, let me jump in and interrupt yeah, you because I, uh, I want to compliment your team um, mm-hmm. because we couldn't have done what we were doing um, without the support of the installation and the Wildcatters stepped up on this. First and foremost, we needed um, legal expertise to know that we had it within our authority um, with the guidelines that we'd had from the Department of Defense, what we'd had from the Air Force, as well as um, from the CDC uh, to be designated as a mission essential activity, mm-hmm. we needed to know that we could actually call employees back to work. Uh, and within a real short order, um, legal gave us that, um, confirmed that authority uh, and en- enabled us to make those tough decisions. Uh, secondly, uh, we knew that um, although we had a plan, uh, we didn't have a playbook. Uh, so a lot of things that we were doing uh, were really dynamic. Uh, right. There was a lot of uncertainty and ambiguity in the, in the, uh, in the environment. And so uh, we decided that we were going to have a daily synchronization call uh, that not only had our team on it, uh, but also had our mission partners. So we had uh, Denny D'Angelo's team from the supply chain, as well as DLA on our synchronization call. And um, the EF Hutton of that call was Paul's team from uh, public health. And uh, Dr. Everson uh, was, uh, when, when that guy was talking on the phone, uh, no one else was talking and we were all certainly taking copious notes and he helped uh, guide us um, not only in implementing the right plan, but really interpreting in some cases conflicting guidance um, that enabled us to make the right calls. It, um, it kept us from uh, really making unforced errors and um, really promoted uh, a lot of good questions and answers from across the team. So it wasn't just the ALC team that was asking questions, the DLA was asking questions. Denny's team from the supply chain management group was, they, we were all had the opportunity to interact and, uh, and, and public health has been very, very faithful, not only on the phone, but uh, also to um, come through our work centers, mm-hmm. not um, in response to an outbreak, uh, but also um, in advance of uh, calling people back to work. Um, they were actually to come out and we would present our plans for um, physical distancing, for barriers, for per- personal protective equipment. We'd show them what we were going to u- use and how we would clean. Uh, and they would give us a thumbs up to say, um, yep, you guys are on it, or hey, we'll tweak it this way or that. And uh, we were able to really um, have a better plan because of that collaboration. Right, sir. So that does bring me to a point that at what point do you start coordinating with your health your your health team to figure out when the the health protection conditions here may have changed that's a continuous process that starts at day one mm-hmm. and it doesn't let up it hasn't let up even this weekend as we discussed the latest uh, cases on installation over the weekend as you recalibrate with with the state's uh, cases climbing you then look for different data sets because your parameters on, on what you need to do have just changed. And we just discussed uh, yesterday where, where I said I need a new report every single morning on hospital beds and ICUs locally within the counties. And we're going to gauge uh, that, that level of resource consumption in the local communities. Because one thing we can't do, um, no matter what, what we're, we're gauging towards, one thing we can't do um, is, is let ourselves get to a point where if we can help it, and of course, we, we can't help it. Some of it is out of our control. But one of our, our primary drives need to be don't don't uh, reach a point where when somebody does get sick from COVID-19 that they don't have a bed to go to. 
So that's an, an, an overriding concern, and you get that information through your public health officials as they, they get with the, the state and local public health officials and they mine the data and, the, and they deliver that. Uh, when we went to a health pro protection condition Bravo, it was at, uh, it is never done in the absence of a recommendation from the public health. And the public health will, will examine where the trends are going, both with positive rates and with testing volume relative to total cases, uh, look at the, the total volume of cases on its own merits and the risk to installation, and, and they made the call that it was okay to go to Bravo on 8 June. But at, at no point uh, in the ALC, in the 552nd Air Control Wing, STRATCOM Wing 1, Mr. D'Angelo's 448 Supply Chain Management Wing, and the 72nd Air Base Wing, and all of the other agencies are all caged to public health and what their recommendations are. Right. And so, sir, it's, it's an interesting dynamic here because the brunt of the responsibility for all of the installation services and the amount of people that get affected by your decisions weighs on you. Was there ever a point in time where you felt pretty heavy with coming to these decisions, even even the hard one? Yes, yes. Uh, but I would say that's a, that's a shared responsibility across <laughs> the installation. General Kirkland, as the commander of AFSC, carries that responsibility as a heavy weight. Uh, and what's really interesting about that is, is none of us are in this alone. There's an installation commander perspective where, where I'm responsible for, for the health of members on the installation and for the security of members on the installation. But, but it's not done alone. And every time we, we, we went to a, a system where we were doing uh, crisis action team updates, uh, we started at three times per week, then went to two times per week, and then once per week, where the entire installation is invited to discuss these things and what the next measures are going to be and what what medicals rec recommendations are. And I always ended those meetings um, very sincerely thanking all of the commanders on our installation because only by them actually tailoring the installation's parameters to their needs to meet their mission and doing so safely only by them being successful at what they do ultimately is what keeps the insulation successful right and so general hill um we, we kind of already touched on this a little bit but what considerations and factors did you have to take into account when looking at the workload disbursements and and um, bringing people back to work at some juncture when they started coming back so so uh, at our level uh, in an organization that's got more than 10,000 people, uh, we knew uh, that uh, we couldn't make um, tactical decisions uh, for all four of our product groups uh, at the complex level. So empowering subordinate commanders and directors uh, was a really important part mm -hmm. of uh, the process. And um, then uh, having uh, an environment where we could collaborate uh, where we were uh, transparent and where um, it was okay for commanders to engage one another and there was trust uh, that they could ask questions and we could ask questions of one another. Uh, that's really what I think uh, enabled us to uh, maintain the flexibility that we needed to meet each individual set of circumstances in the environment, whether we're talking about one of 54 different production facilities, whether it's hangars or back shops, there's a lot of different variables that are in that environment itself. Um, there's a different environment across the workforce, right? So uh, whether we're talking about at-risk demographics or the, um, the type 
of work that employees actually do, uh, that varies a great deal. And so uh, I think that flexibility was really critical to um, allowing the units um, the margin that they needed to make their best decisions um, to get the right employees back to do the right workload uh, at the right time right. and uh, and certainly the support that we had from the installation and certainly from the empowerment that we had from the boss um, was an enabler to make that happen um, you know they say the command is full of paradox right mm -hmm. that uh, you, you know you can be in uh, similar situations and come out of having uh, com completely different reactions to to sim similar situations I, I will tell you that uh, um, I've never been in a situation like this um, but um, over the course of my career, I've been comfortable making decisions with, uh, in environments of ambiguity, uh, in environments with uncertainty, uh, and maybe some volatility. Um, and this was certainly one of those examples. Um, but I'm really, really proud of the team uh, and the trust that we had in the team. Uh, the team of leaders um, really reduced what I felt like was risk um, because uh, I, I knew that uh, together we weren't gonna make um, terrible decisions. Uh, and looking back in preparation for this today, um, I don't know that I would change any one of our decisions um, that we've made up to date. I think that's a pretty incredible statement that uh, says a lot for you and your teams, for sure. Uh, the team gets all the credit. No, <laughs> thanks, sir. So, Mr. D'Angelo, you've sure. been quiet, sir. Um, we've talked quite a bit about the operations in the complex and all over the, the AFSC organization. Uh, but we haven't talked about perhaps one of the most critical and maybe sometimes not talked about pieces to this puzzle, and that's the supply chain. Mm -hmm. um, how did you begin planning across your organization to safely keep the supplies moving so that everybody else here could continue doing their, their operations? Sure. Um, the, we're a little different than the situation here only at Tinker in mm -hmm. that we have locations uh, at Hill Air Force Base as well as at Warner Robins Air Force Base. We're, we're actually closer to AFSC the way they're aligned than, than uh, maybe the wing is. Right. So I'm going I'm to broaden this a little bit because sure. even though it's a tinker focus, mm -hmm. I'm going to tell you that even at the tinker, sometimes we touch everybody in the right. corners as well. So um, we, like everybody else, about the mid-March time frame, realized that uh, COVID was more of an issue than, uh, than we maybe had anticipated, at least at my level. We started to look at what we needed to do to protect the force, as we had said before, because that was critical. And we kind of shifted our, our focus, uh, basically people first, mission always. All right, we knew we had to take care of the people. And we knew we had to do some things. Now, I was actually very blessed because what had happened is prior to this occurring back in about the, what, maybe August to uh, November timeframe, we had a situation in the in the area here that drove a lot of the folks out. We had some mold issues and we started to actually telework ahead of time. So while we were doing the teleworking for the condition to abate the mold, we started to revise our, uh, our continuity of operations plan that we had in place mm -hmm. to be able to displace people more easily. And uh, even though that was more of a tinker focus issue, we started to work with the groups by doing some types of, uh, I, I would call them tabletop exercises. Right. Not anticipating COVID ever being an issue, we always thought it would be, hey, what would happen if something like a storm came through or whatever? So we developed a, a pretty robust teleworking capability. 
And then when the situation came to the point where we said, hey, we might want to think about taking our people and protecting them by dispersing them back to the safety of their homes, we were in a place where we could ex exercise that continuity plan. And it was actually very fresh in our minds, and we had done it. So that's what we did. We basically came in uh, and start looking. We made some uh, calls basically to all the wing commanders to make sure that they knew that we were about to disperse a large portion, uh, portion of, of the workforce. At, uh, at the three locations, and we sent our folks home. Hmm. We learned a few things while we did that. First okay. of all, uh, even though here at Tinker and at Warner Robins, we had enough uh, IT equipment to run, and at the location at Hill Air Force Base, they didn't have quite enough. So we actually allowed people to take home their, uh, their full computer systems to do it. But we immediately went back into our ability to support the supply chain. Why? Because the majority of the material that we support is done through the computer networks that we have, and we can actually tag back into those networks from a distributed location. Right. So using the, the continuity of operations plan and protecting the people by putting them back out away from the work, work area, we were really able to continue to be connected and do the, uh, the mission that we had at hand, which is to supply warfighter dominance to the Air Force. Over. Pretty incredible how some of that planning, you just don't know it's coming. You know, I would add to Mr. D'Angelo that uh, even as we've been returning people to the workforce to accomplish uh, the industrial tasks, that where folks are are uh, teleworking and doing so effectively, we're in no rush to bring those, those folks yeah. back to the office place, um, which will inform future decisions on actually how we do this. If we've demonstrated that we can effectively work from home or mostly from home, or elsewhere, maybe we maybe we don't need quite as many cubicles, or, or we can maybe share workstations going forward. Mr. Angelo's wing uh, or other staff functions that are largely administrative or uh, work in offices are looking closely at what this means going forward. Mm -hmm. I would add, though, that I don't want to assume that we can continue this indefinitely. Mm -hmm. There are aspects where where uh, in office in person interaction is uh, is necessary uh, using. Uh, Using Zoom, using CBR Teams, using the telephone can be effective, but it may it, it may come at a cost. So we're looking at that very closely as to what it means going forward. With that, we've been doing some of our onboarding and training uh, virtually uh, as folks have joined our team. Um, the folks who went into telework on day one of the pandemic were by and large trained, experienced folks who already knew each other. Going forward, that as we re incrementally replace them with new employees and folks who need on-the-job training and mentorship, we need to figure out how to balance that in terms of in terms of virtual and, and physical presence. All right, so it's still a I, lot I, of work to be done. I'd like to, to tag on to that because mm -hmm. the, the boss's leadership in this area has been very important to all of us in how we do this. We. I talked to General Kirkland before we made any decision on how we would return the force. Mm -hmm. First thing we did is we went out to all the ALCs and said, how bad are we? Are we doing okay with our distributed workforce? And most said, yes, you're doing fine. We don't see any any uh, limitation in the way you're doing business. So we developed what we consider to be a lagging strategy. We decided that we mm -hmm. would come back last with the highest risk people coming back at the end. Right. And the reason we did that is twofold. Number one, we wanted to make sure that we didn't compete for the resources that General Hill, uh, Colonel Filchek, and the other ALC and wing commanders had told, it, told us that we're in, in tight supply. 
Okay, we didn't want to compete for masks. We didn't want to compete for uh, for cleaning materials or drive a really high bill early on because we pulled everybody back when we really didn't need to. Right. So we lag. We're going to lag. Matter of fact, we're not even all the way back now. We're only about 80, 85 percent, and we will probably stay at that for some time. Mm-hmm. Uh, the second thing is we wanted to make sure that we we were able to provide the the type of resource the the area for for protection as well. So what we did is we went out to each one of the ALCs through our groups and we determined exactly what we thought we would need to support the mission with in person staff, and then we just allowed the rest to remain home. We realized like. Uh, General Kirkland said there's a big pressure on culturalization. How do you bring in new people? I have lots of new people that come in often. And we've looked at things uh, such as, as these people on board, we do some uh, in-place, uh, in-person touch points uh, with the restrictions for COVID, keeping the distancing. And then we go back on to uh, meetings using uh, Zoom and other types of uh, distributed means so that we can keep in, in, in touch with one another in a visual sense right. so we can see each other we can talk issues out with those folks uh, we're learning from that but uh, but I think we'll do well in the future in the way we bring people on and the way we do work day to day because uh, you know you could reduce the amount of cost in up upgrading facilities right. if you had a pers- portion of your workforce that uh, that rotated through uh, teleworking interesting who, who knew we weren't just the uh, the generation of cell phones I mean we actually do require some human interaction. Um, and so, Mr. D'Angelo, you not only have the, the task of moving supplies across multiple states into multiple organizations, um, but you also have to acquire supplies from vendors that aren't within the Air Force system, and they have their own set of rules and, and how they were dealing for this pandemic, and it was different all over the country. So, how hard was it for you to keep successfully working with all of the different pieces that bring the supplies in to, to your organization? I would say that it w- remarkably, it wasn't as hard as I thought it would be. Hmm. Uh, we had open lines of communication with the majority of our uh, suppliers and through uh, distributive means, we were able to keep in contact with them. I also have a organization that, that deals with supply chain risk management. It's only three, three people, but they were able to leverage uh, information that came out of uh, Department of Commerce uh, and other areas within the country that uh, allows us to see what the impact would be in certain areas. California and in Florida, they have a large number of suppliers, and we wanted to keep an eye on those. So we we did a uh, we had a special focus on those uh, locations to see how things were going, and then we did uh, normal touch points. The groups went in, and at their level, they made normal touch points with the major uh, the contractors to see how they were doing. Uh, when the stimulus package came out, we also looked at how that stimulus package went down to help not only the primary uh, providers, those those contractors, but the second and third tier suppliers as well, because some of those are small mom and pop organizations. And if they don't get the money, they probably won't exist in the future. And we want to keep the industrial base uh, warm and capable in the future to not only do our work, but to do work for the nation. So using the supply chain risk management, using our uh, existing ways of uh, communicating across uh, the enterprise, and then the groups continually feeding up information so that we would, if we needed to inject, we could inject at the right level, either at mine, General Kirkland's, or even at a higher level, such as with uh, General Bunch, we were able to keep the, the supply of material coming in. Awesome. And so, sir, 
you also obviously leading a, a, a team that's very geographically separated by nature. Um, were you seeing a lot of the same the same situations across all your organizations that we were doing here? Was it how did you how were you able to work through, or so far having been working through, um, being separated from all your leaders and not being able to take the trips? Well, first of all, I have a lot of confidence and trust in the leadership teams uh, from the commander director all the way down to the first line supervisors. We, um, I'd say the, the, ge the geographic diversity also uh, could be a strength in that we were able to very early on uh, export best practices from one location to the other. Uh, I'll give you an example or two. At Robbins Air Force Base, uh, the wing there determined how to uh, train units to do their own contact tracing. So the public health officers that Colonel Filchik mentioned that their abilities could could be um, could be multiplied many times. And in in the in the early throes of the pandemic, it was very important. It remains important uh, to very quickly do contact tracing to figure out how to contain uh, the the spread where there might have been a case uh, of one of our teammates who tested positive. Um, and in General Hill's case, I believe they were very quick to understand how to um, apply uh, boundaries to the workspaces, dedicated entrances, dedicated bathrooms and break areas so that individual units, uh, we could first prevent the spread of COVID and then if it were to occur, contain it uh, to a smaller population and therefore uh, enable our force. So these through uh, the three airbase wings, through the three air logistics complexes, we uh, the, the trading of best practices was rapid and frequent, and has a lot to do with the way this center has, has postured itself. Um, you know, I've learned as commander again in my career that it's easy to make policy at the aggregate level, and this is what comes down from above from our headquarters, and, and it all works. And we get nice papers with nice concepts, but the reality is it has to be applied at the individual employee level whether they're civilian or whether they are, are military, mm -hmm. uh, because that employee, he or she has a family, they may have uh, a, a sick relative at home, and the fears, the concerns, the unknowns are very individual and very specific to them. And so uh, with that, I mentioned trust. Mm -hmm. We trust our first line supervisors to account for those, to manage them, to work with the individual, individual employee, to assure them that these are the processes we're gonna use, these are the procedures, here's how we will operate with this protective equipment, here's how we will clean, uh, and if something goes wrong, here's how we're gonna react. And while there are thousands of individual stories, I think by taking time to stop and make sure that those first lines understand their responsibility and accountability, mm -hmm to be that interface between the larger policy and how it's applied on the floor or in the office or even to teleworkers is really, really key to how we've approached this. And I would add that, uh, and General Hill mentioned this, that our bargaining unit teammates, uh, our local unions, here at Tinker, Mr. Jeremy Ross at uh, Hill Air Force Base has been Mr. Troy Tingey and at Robbins, Mr. Marion Williams. The three of them with their local unions have been tremendous teammates in advising and listening and then making recommendations to us and then going out with a with a shared approach to communicate how we would proceed through this pandemic with our employees. Awesome. Fantastic insight. So Colonel Filchek, with the, the AFSC headquarters actually being here, 
what extra considerations do you have to make or, or do you make from your end on, on dealing with this COVID pandemic? So you're going to have me follow that and, and then ask me how it is having AFSC here. Uh, what's, what's interesting about that is General Kirkland already hit on it. It has been so collaborative across the entire enterprise. Uh, what, what General Kirkland does and what General Hill does as well, what Mr. D'Angelo does, everybody gets it that enterprise solutions are our best. Right, and that we leverage off of each other. We leverage off the lessons learned. We leverage off our previous experiences. We use our guidance. We don't let guidance uh, replace leadership. We then apply leadership within the bounds of that guidance. General Kirtland completely trusts all of his commanders at all levels, and that conveys as we try to problem solve our way through this. So having him local, uh, it's interesting. He'll, he'll have his opinions locally on what we may do, but has never once enforced that. He has just used it as an advisement mechanism, as, as General Hill and, and Mr. D'Angelo and my fellow wing commanders in the operational wings. It's been nothing but, uh, but collaborative the entire time. Awesome. You would say about our boss would be this, and he's here in the room, so I'm sounding like I'm schmoozing him. But <laughs> that trust is relayed by not micromanaging us. He gives us clear direction and guidance. He trusts us to execute that. And how we execute it is, is kind of up to us as long as we come out with the goal. And that's extremely important for us to be aware of at whatever level the people are that hear this, that your leadership trusts you to execute and we'll give you the guidance and the tools to be able to accomplish it awesome. from the top. That's important. Um, and so this really for, for the team, this, this pandemic is pretty much unlike anything I, I think even General Hill had, had mentioned it, it unlike anything you had been a part of or seen before have any of you found any leadership lessons um, to be unique trying to navigate through this I wouldn't say that's unique I, I think the hardest thing we have to do irrespective of a pandemic is communicate and uh, and it's times like this, I think, that just reinforce uh, how important it is for us to communicate, not not only uh, inside of uh, the organizations, but outside as well. It's, mm -hmm. uh, it's very, very easy to um, uh, think you've effectively communicated by broadcasting a message, um, but you've got to be able to sense and respond and, and then receive and listen uh, to make sure that what you're saying is actually being translated correctly and, and understood. Mm -hmm. uh, so. Um, I would say that uh, communication has been the hardest challenge uh, that we've had, and uh, and we're still working really hard at that. Awesome, sir. Let me let me piggyback on that because that that's that's beautiful. So the communication, and we're not just talking about what General Kirkland talks about, getting it down to the point of execution, getting it down to that frontline supervisor and and the people who are doing the work. But the families and the dependents and, and the people who aren't at work who are, are curious as to what's going on and keeping them connected. I would say um, that, that in this case, uh, we, we didn't fail, but we didn't uh, succeed to a degree I would have liked, which is a valuable me message uh, for me going forward. When, when you deal with something like this that is inherently going to isolate, as you could see the escalation coming, coming forward and the great unknowns with COVID, realizing that we were going to isolate our workforce, I would have probably gone even further on, on the communications strategy and employment before we ever entered into Alpha and Bravo and Charlie and be in front of that curve. Uh, we made up time very well, ended up being a very effective communication base, but very early in the game have that purring like a kitten would have been nice. 
let me uh, let me jump in on that one as well. Sure. I'll take it actually even down a little bit lower. First of all, communication extremely important. Uh, I also found that I probably didn't need as many meetings as I had. Right? <laughs> I, I mean, I found out that I could actually accomplish things without even being in front of folks, which I prefer to be in front of them, but many times you can't be. So we found new ways of touching our people, new ways of extracting the information, and new ways of being even more effective and efficient than we thought we would be if we were in the same spot. And that's not because of any direction I gave them. That's because of the resiliency and the tenacity of the people that work here on this installation. My people, they came up with the ideas. I didn't. I was just a guy at the top that said, execute that. That sounds like a great idea. Let's go forward with it. So the tenacity of the people, the resiliency that they have, and the agility that we've all talked about is what really got us through this. We might have given uh, our, you know, direction and our guidance from on top, but they were the ones that executed and executed it extremely well. So uh, it enforced my trust, enforced the object of communication. Yep, I'm going to have a few less meetings when we all come back, and there's probably applause now when people hear this. <laughs> but uh, we found out that we could do a lot of things when we were under extreme pressure, and we could do it very well. All right. General Kirkman, sir? There's been several aspects of this that I didn't anticipate. Mm-hmm. But throughout it, we've been aware and mindful that our Air Force remains open for business. We continue to fly, fight, and win. We are operating around the globe today. We've never stopped. And and, and with that, the Sustainment Center's mission to fix airplanes and missiles and engines and parts and keep the the shells healthy across our Air Force has never been more important. And so that's been context for that we needed to stay open for business as well and meet that need. The circumstances of that certainly became more challenging and in specific to the mission and the, and the location. And so you've heard our, our commanders and directors talk about that balance between mission and the obligation to protect our workforce. Mm-hmm. And so that has been different. And I would add to that, that it's also made me mindful of the many people that perhaps we didn't take for granted, but we didn't recognize their contribution along the way. Public health officers have always been there, mm-hmm. but we, didn't give them the credit that now we realize that we should. They've been tremendous through this and keeping working with the uh, state and local agencies and communicating that to the individual commanders and directors. Uh, the butchers in the commissary, the, 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 the child care worker in the CDCs, the defender at the front gate, I could go on and on right. of folks who make our installations run and kept them open, fed us, kept us safe, our engineers who kept the lights on. Uh, we have a series here in uh, Sustainment Center uh, called Frontlines mm-hmm. at our three locations, which mm-hmm. I am very proud of, that recognizes these folks by name uh, individually. Um, also, this pandemic is not over. Right. This is an unknown duration, and so as we've made adjustments, we have to also be aware that we just don't know how long we're going to have to operate this way. This could be the new abnormal, as our chief of staff describes it, mm-hmm. and therefore there is a cost to that slight, uh, maybe introduces slight inefficiencies. And so as we get into the third, fourth, fifth month of this and get into the summer and fall, and until there's a vaccine or until there's herd immunity and things return to something that looks like uh, pre-COVID, and that's not guaranteed, at this point, beginning to ask ask the units, what have we lost? What are we not doing that's introduced risk? And it, the answer is, is clearly we've lost some things. Well, Mr. Angelo said we've, we've, we've gotten rid of some meetings, and, and that's probably a good thing. But along <laughs> the way, 
whether it's quality assurance oversight, whether it's things that our, our inspector general might look at, whether it's just daily oversight of our, of our processes. We've probably scaled back on a few things. So I'm asking the leadership to look at what risk we're, we created and what are the priorities among those that we need to go back and look at before we just get into the new normal. Will this pandemic be the most challenging event in your career for you to have had to work through? I'd say top three. Awesome. Colonel Felichek? That's, that's perfect, sir. I, um, I was going to say no, uh, but I'll just say top three. It's in the top three. Top three. Mr. D'Angelo? It would not be my number one. I think 9-11 uh, actually had a good one on that one and everything that spun off of that one. And that was actually some of the reasons, but I put it in the top five. Right. So, and maybe some of the things we've learned over the years since then have helped. Maybe. General Kirkland? I hit this earlier, it's different than all the others. Mm -hmm. Each of us have probably inherited a failing organization. We've, most of us been, have been deployed uh, to war zones and supported combat operations. Most of us have reacted to something like 9-11. Like but the path forward for those were, I'd say, more certain and we knew where the endpoint was. We, we accomplish our operational objectives and then we come home. This one is open-ended and therefore informs how we're going to do this. And we don't quite know where this will go yet. And so I would say it's been the most unsettling for me um, and the most uncertain. Right. Awesome. So I think that's a, a pretty solid place to end this conversation. But um, before we do get out of here, sir, General Kirkland, is there anything you'd like to add before we get out of this? Just my tremendous appreciation and respect for the men and women that make up this center. We're talking about the coronavirus pandemic today, but every one of them has a story. And every end of, every employee in our center has stepped up in his or her way to continue the operations of this center and make sure we're supporting the warfighters. Awesome. And so with that, thank you, sir. Thank you, gentlemen, for uh, taking time out of your very busy days to, to sit down and talk through this. Um, as you've all pointed out, you know, we're not through this yet, but uh, it's a it's a key discussion to have. And it's uh, it's important for people to see what the mindsets and what it's like behind the scenes to figure out how we work through this. So uh, with that, that does bring uh, to end another edition of the Tinker Talks podcast. Thanks for joining us today. Please don't forget to check out our website, www.tinker.af.mil. And there's a COVID-19 tab on the, on the top of that website that you can get all of the latest news and updates on COVID-19. Um, also, please don't forget to check us out on social media. That's at T, uh, Tinker Air Force Base on Facebook and Instagram and on Twitter. Of course, that's at team underscore Tinker. And so until next time, everybody, please be safe, uh, be kind and respectful to one another and have a great day and a better week.